Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2013, titled Seek the Lord and Live, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 11 for June 8-14, to Visions of Hope, the Book of Zechariah. Sabbath afternoon, June 8. Our memory text this week is... In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word this week, as we look at the little book of Zechariah, as we come to read it, some of us for the first time, others for maybe the second or maybe the umpteenth time, we just want to thank you that it's there and there's a message for us that provides hope. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and that we will be blessed this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read that memory text again, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 10. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Our key thought this week is, Though Israel had been punished for its sins, it was time for its people to live again in relationship with God, according to his promises. On the wall of an old castle in Central Europe, a short Latin inscription reads, Dum spiro spero. It means, As long as I breathe, I have hope. This saying can summarize the message of Zechariah to God's people. Nearly twenty years after their return from the Babylonian captivity, some began to wonder if God was still present among his people. They started to feel discouragement replace their earlier enthusiasm. Zechariah, whose name means the Lord remembers, began his prophetic ministry a few months after Haggai began his ministry. Through a series of prophetic visions, Zechariah learned God's plans for the present and the future. God's eternal kingdom was coming soon. But the prophet called those who lived in his time to serve the Lord now. A good portion of the book is centered on how they were to do just that. This week and the next, we will look at what the Lord has revealed to us through Zechariah. Sunday, June 9, Comforting Words of Life Question. Read Zechariah chapter 1. What is the essential message here? Focus especially on Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3. What is the Lord saying to the people? Beginning at verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo the prophet, saying... The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. And this is verse 3. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. 
Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. On the twenty-fourth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord, who stood among the myrtle trees, and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel who talked to him with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy, my house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion, and will again choose Jerusalem. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah, to scatter it. The return from the exile in Babylon sparked joy in the hearts of the remnant people, but the return also caused anxiety. Would they be safe and secure in their land, or would enemies come again to harass them? Had God forgiven their past unfaithfulness, or would he continue their punishment? What did the future hold for God's chosen people and for the nations? In his vision, Zechariah saw the angel of the Lord move to intercede for Judah. He began with the question, how long? In the Bible, this question often is used as an expression of people's distress and appeal to the Lord for help. We can see it in Psalm 74 and verse 10, which reads, O God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? And Isaiah chapter 6 
and verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. And Daniel chapter 8 and verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? The answer to the question came directly through the interpreting angel, who then passed it on to the prophet. It contained words that promised God's kindness and comfort. Zechariah was told to proclaim that their Lord was very jealous for Jerusalem in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 14, which reads, So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Jealousy can have negative connotations, but in the Bible it also can be an expression of God's love. God loved his people and expected them to be faithful. In contrast to his love toward Jerusalem, the angel said that the Lord was angry with the nations that had treated his people so harshly. The full charge against the nations was that they had added to the calamity of the divine discipline by going too far in their harsh treatment of captives. Zechariah chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 acknowledges God as having been angry, but shows also that he promised to repay the people with comfort. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy, my house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion, and will again choose Jerusalem. His purpose, which the prophet was commissioned to proclaim, was to return to Jerusalem with compassion. The Lord will comfort Zion, we read in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort Yes, comfort my people, says your God, while his anger would be directed to his enemies. Jerusalem was going to be restored, and it would again be the dwelling place of the Lord. So to finish today, look again at Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 3. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. How does one return unto the Lord? In what ways is this a call for a restored personal relationship between God and his people? How do we, or do we, return unto the Lord every day? June 10. The Lord is coming. Question. Read Zechariah chapter 2. 
It records a vision in which the prophet is shown a renewed Jerusalem, so full of people that it overspreads its walls. It will attract countless Gentiles as well, which must have sounded very strange to the people. Beginning at verse 1, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. But surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord's. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Verse 10, which reads, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord, begins with a call of joy, followed by the reason for such jubilation, the personal coming of the Lord to live among his people. The Lord's dramatic return to dwell in his rebuilt house is cause for praise for those who have returned from exile. Zion, the dwelling place of the great king, is called Daughter of Zion, a prophetic term of endearment. In view of its glorious prospect, Zion is invited to rejoice because the Lord himself will take care of its people. Anyone who touches God's people touches the pupil of his own eye. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The prophet said that in the day of the Lord, many non-Hebrew nations will come and join themselves to the Lord's covenant. God's original plan was that the people of the surrounding nations would see how Israel's service to the true God results in blessings and prosperity. Thus, they would be led to join themselves to the Lord. In this way, the remnant of Israel and the believing Gentiles would together become one people, in whose midst the Lord himself would dwell. This event would fulfill God's promise to Abraham and Sarai that through their posterity all the nations of the world would be blessed. Question. How will this prophecy be fulfilled? Well, first of all, let's look at Romans chapter 15, verses 9 to 18. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, 
For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Through Zechariah's prophecy, God promises not the destruction of the nations, but their inclusion among God's covenant people. The promised future is the result of God's own initiative and was the longing of many biblical prophets. Jesus Christ commissioned his church to preach the good news to the whole world of the salvation that is to be found for everyone in Jesus if they accept it for themselves. The Apostle Paul called this plan of the Lord in Romans 16.25 the mystery hidden for long ages past. So, to finish the day, how should our understanding of the universality of the gospel message and the idea that it is for all humanity impact how we live? That is, how much of our lives, our time and our thoughts should be focused on reaching the world with the wonderful truths that we have been given. Tuesday, June 9, God's Readiness to Forgive Question. Read Zechariah chapter 3. How is the gospel portrayed here? Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch." For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I have engraven its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. With perhaps the exception of Isaiah chapter 53, No portion of the Old Testament better reveals the wonderful truth of salvation by faith alone than does Zechariah chapter 3. In this vision, the high priest Joshua is being tried on accusations brought forth by the official accuser, Satan. The accusations against the high priest also apply to the nation which he represented. The name Joshua, also spelled as Jeshua, means the Lord saves, and can also be spelled Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the Bible, the position of standing on the right side is one of defense and protection. The psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Let's also look at Psalm chapter 44 and verse 3. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But I was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance before you favoured them. In this case, the accuser is just doing the opposite. Let's see what it says in Psalm 109, verse 6. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. While Joshua is interceding before God for the people, Satan is bringing accusations against them based on their sinfulness. The Lord rejects the accusations, reminding the accuser that in his mercy he already has chosen Joshua. Moreover, his people already have suffered the full measure of divine punishment. Joshua and the remnant people have been snatched as a burning stick from the destructive fire of long captivity in Babylon. Amos 4.11 reads, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. At the command of the angel of the Lord, Joshua's clothes, which represent people's sins, are removed. He is cleansed and then given the new festive garments of salvation 
and righteousness. Finally, Joshua is commissioned to do God's will and to walk in his ways, an attitude that will result in God's manifold blessings. In the book Prophets and Kings, page 583-4, to Ellen White writes, The high priest cannot defend himself or his people from Satan's accusations. He does not claim that Israel is free from fault. In filthy garments, symbolizing the sins of the people which he bears as their representative, he stands before the angel, confessing their guilt, yet pointing to their repentance and humiliation, and relying upon the mercy of a sin-pardoning Redeemer. In faith, he claims the promises of God. Those promises, of course, include the covering of Christ's righteousness. So to finish today, imagine having to stand before God in your own filthy garments. What great hope is presented here, and how can you not only claim that hope for yourself, but reveal the reality of that hope through a holy and sanctified life? Wednesday, June 12, Not by Human Power Question. Read Zechariah chapter 4. What hope is being presented to the people? Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that dip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. In this vision, Zechariah sees a lampstand fed by two olive trees which refers back to the candlestick located in the holy place of the wilderness tabernacle, as described in Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 to 
40. We'll just read that. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms of one branch, on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, all of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold, and it shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The seven lamps are arranged around a large bowl that serves as a reservoir of oil. The bowl, with its bountiful supply of oil, symbolizes the fullness of God's power through His Spirit. The seven lamps shine with abundant light, a symbol of God's abiding presence, which dispels all darkness. Just as the olive oil is conducted directly from the trees to the bowl of oil at the top of the lampstand without any human agency, so the power which comes from God is constant and sufficient and also needs no human agency. The message of the vision given to the prophet is that the temple in Jerusalem will soon be rebuilt. God's Spirit, not just human efforts, guarantees the completion of the work. This bold message is given in spite of the fact that the obstacles faced by the builders appear to be as great as a mountain, as it said in verse 7. The prophet is not told who is represented by the lampstand, but we can be sure that the two olive trees represent the two leaders of Judah, Joshua and Zerubbabel. In worldly terms, Zerubbabel's position never could match the royal power and might of his ancestors, David and Solomon. From a human point of view, all efforts and resources available to the builders were inadequate. Yet God's word promises that a king is not saved by the size of his army, nor a warrior by his great strength. We can find that in Psalm chapter 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. In this way, the leaders are told that it is only when the Spirit leads that every detail of service can glorify God. In this prophetic passage, Christians are given an important principle to remember. God may call us to difficult tasks, but through the work of his Spirit, he can accomplish his purpose. In the New Testament, we read about that in Philippians in two places. First of all, in chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And also in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. By the Spirit, God provides the power for us to do His work now as He did then. Therefore, the work is accomplished not by human might or force, but by the Lord working through those who are open to be used by Him. So, to finish today, read carefully Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Why is it so important always to keep in mind our utter dependence upon God? What can happen when we forget that all we have or can do comes only from the Lord and His power working in us? Verse 6. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Thursday, June 11, Beyond Fasting During Zechariah's third year of ministry, a delegation from Bethel came to Jerusalem to ask the priests and the prophet a question. That's recorded in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, when the people sent Sherezah, with Regem Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord, and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? When they were in exile in Babylon, the people fasted during the fifth month to mourn the destruction of the temple. We can read about that in Second Kings chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And that reads, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. This was in addition to the fasts held in the fourth, seventh, and tenth months, that we read about in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 19, which reads, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. In the fourth month, the breaching of the wall of Jerusalem was remembered. And uh, we read about that in Jeremiah chapter 39 and verse 2. And that reads, In the eleventh month of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. The fast in the seventh month, the Day of Atonement, was the only fasting day commanded by God through Moses. Finally, in the tenth month, the people mourned the siege against Jerusalem. And we read about that in uh, verse 1 of chapter 39. In the ninth month of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. 
Because the exile was now over and the temple reconstruction almost was complete, the people wondered if it still was necessary to fast in the fifth month. Question. Read the Lord's answer. It's found in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 to 14. In what ways can the words here be applied to ourselves? Beginning at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed that they would not hear, so they called out, And I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. God's answer through Zechariah is twofold. First, it is necessary that God's people remember the past so that they do not repeat it. The Lord had warned the ancestors that he expected them to live in trust and obedience. The exile was punishment for their persistent rebellion, so the people are summoned to learn from their past mistakes. Second, the Lord does not take delight in people's hunger. When they fast and humble themselves before God, repentance and humility need to be reflected in what they do. To fast in order to feel sorry for oneself is a waste of time and effort. Fasting, among other things, should represent the kind of death to self needed in order to be able to put self aside and reach out and minister to the needs of others. Ellen White describes it beautifully in Councils on Diets and Food, page 189. The spirit of true fasting and prayer is the spirit which yields mind, heart and will to God. So to finish the day, what are ways in which we can make valid religious practices such as fasting and even prayer become substitutes for what true Christian faith should be about? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Friday, June 14. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 586 and 587, we read, Satan knows that those who ask God for pardon and grace will obtain it. Therefore he presents their sins before them to discourage them. Against those who are trying to obey God, he is constantly seeking occasion for complaint. Even their best and most acceptable service he seeks to make appear corrupt. By countless devices, the most subtle and the most cruel, he endeavours to secure their condemnation. In his own strength, man cannot meet the charges of the enemy. 
in sin-stained garments, confessing his guilt, he stands before God. But Jesus, our advocate, presents an effectual plea in behalf of all who, by repentance and faith, have committed the keeping of their souls to him. He pleads their cause, and, by the mighty arguments of Calvary, vanquishes their accuser. His perfect obedience to God's law has given him all power in heaven and in earth, and he claims from his Father mercy and reconciliation for guilty man. To the accuser of his people he declares, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. These are the purchase of my blood, brands plucked from the burning. And to those who rely on him in faith he gives the assurance of Zechariah chapter 3 verse 4. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Read the quote above. How does this help us to understand the great truth which is salvation by grace alone? In moments of great personal discouragement about our own faults and shortcomings, how can we draw comfort and hope from these words? How can we learn to make this wonderful truth a source of strength that helps us not to turn away from the Lord in utter despair over our own sense of unworthiness? Instead, how can we make this wonderful truth the source of our determination to continue to love God and keep all of His commandments? Two, as a class, go over the final question in Thursday's study. Why is that such an easy trap to fall into? At the same time, what potential dangers are there when we make our religion into nothing but a kind of social service? How do we strike the right balance? And three, however difficult some parts of the book of Zechariah may be, and some parts are difficult, what practical lessons about Christian living can we take from it? And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Nothing to Lose. What's happening to me? Solomone asked himself. He was still a teenager, but he knew that he had messed up his life. He had disobeyed his parents and joined a gang of teenagers who stole and used drugs. God has condemned me for what I've done, he thought. I'm lost. There's no hope for me. I have nothing to lose. With this attitude, he continued living a life of crime. In time, he was arrested and sent to prison, but prison didn't change him. Solomoni had several dreams that haunted him. He recognized a woman in his dreams as a Seventh-day Adventist. He decided to visit the Seventh-day Adventist church to learn why God had sent the dreams. The members welcomed him warmly, unmindful of his torn shirt and dirty jeans. He sat down and focused on the sermon. He was sobered by the pastor's words and determined to leave his former life behind. Some of Solomone's old friends warned him about what would happen if he left his former life. Do whatever you want to me, he told them. I've found a better life in God. Solomoni realized that he had been given a second chance in life. God had never let him go, and he had nothing to lose by taking hold of God. 
Solomoni's friends and family saw the changes in his life. Some wanted to know what had happened. Solomoni answered by inviting them to church, and several went. They knew that it would take a powerful God to change him, and they wanted to know God too. Three of his former gang member friends were baptized with him. The pastor saw potential in Solomoni and urged him to consider preparing for the ministry, but he hesitated. God has done so much for me, and I want to work for him, he said, but with my past, I'm not worthy to be a pastor. He resisted as church members tried to encourage him to consider studying at Adventist-owned Fulton College in Fiji. But eventually, Solomoni recognized God's leading and enrolled to study theology. He had no financial support, but he trusted God to provide. I now know that God is calling me to serve him, and I won't turn back, he says. Hundreds of students are making a difference in the South Pacific Islands thanks to Fulton College in Fiji. Part of a recent 13th Sabbath offering is helping to establish a new campus for the college where many more students can prepare to serve their master. Thank you for your part in making this happen. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.